Good to be with you guys this morning on Palm Sunday, um, just as we're getting into the Easter season, and uh, I was just curious about, you know, the, the calendar year for the church and found out that Passover is this Friday. So, you know, a lot of times the, the Christian church is not quite in sync with the Jewish tradition, and so actually this year we are, good for us. Um, and so it really is, in fact, Palm Sunday, um, in every sense of the word, you know, it's historical tradition as well, which is really interesting. And so during the season, we're exploring a question. The question is, what are you looking for? And as we do that, we're looking um, at the, the stories and experiences of people throughout history, specifically people that Jesus interacted with. And those are people who were looking for Jesus in a variety of ways. Um, and so we're looking at how did they interact with Jesus as they discovered him. And we're looking inward at ourselves. How are we looking for Jesus? Uh, so this week, we're spending our time completely inside of one of the stories um, where John in John 6, there's a group of people who are looking for Jesus. And at first, they like what they see. They like what they find. But it does not take them very long to change their minds. And so the story begins in an unassuming way, in a way that we're very familiar with. Uh, Jesus feeding people, right? Jesus was usually where the, there was food, there was wine, there was Jesus, right? Um, and so here he is, he's providing a meal for, for people, and they're eating together. But this story leads straight into one of Jesus' most bold and provocative claims, and so we are headed straight for that today. And so I want to just dive right into the story and give us some context. So starting here in John 6, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by him in the second. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And it's interesting that John mentions this because, again, we're approaching Passover ourselves. But this is significant because two years later from this point, during Passover, that would be the time where Jesus would give his life, when he would die on the cross and be resurrected. And so John is making a point. He's setting the stage a little bit. He's providing a tiny bit of foreshadowing. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food, bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I like how Jesus said buy. Jesus doesn't really have to buy things, does he? He can just kind of make them, right? But I like how Philip just takes him at his word. He goes, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy a bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I like how he includes the word small twice. He's trying to emphasize just how small, just how minuscule, just how impossible the situation is. But Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. Again, this, these are funny details. I'm not sure why, but apparently it was not rocky so people could sit and they sat down, there was 5,000 men, and we're assuming that there were families there as well. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. This is implying that Jesus was walking around to all these families and feeding them. 
himself. Isn't that interesting? When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left, over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I've got a full belly, this must be the guy. Right? And that's, that's how they drew that conclusion. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and they came by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what's Jesus doing here? He was just sitting on a mountain with some friends, and all of a sudden, a huge crowd, and he's, he sees that they're hungry, and he feeds them. It seems as simple as that. He's feeding hungry people. But it's deeper, because Jesus is meeting a physical need to draw attention to a spiritual need. He's inviting them to a meal, to a conversation, to a relationship. He's inviting them to hunger for something more than just bread. And at least in the beginning, that's not what they wanted. They just wanted to eat. They're impressed by his ability to feed them and heal them. That's why they showed up. And they saw these things as signs that he was coming as a political king. So that's what they were looking for. What are you looking for? And maybe more importantly, who are you looking for? What most of us are looking for is pretty straightforward. Why do we come to Jesus? Most of the time, it's for food, provision. It might be for, for a job. It might be for a, you know, a house, something to provide us with the basic provisions of life. We're looking for health. We're praying about our health, the family, our family members' health, right? For our physical bodies. We want security. We want to know somebody who has the ability to do something to affect change, <clears throat> they were praying, they were coming to Jesus for food, for healing, and they wanted to put their guy in power, right? They wanted to be able to say, this is the guy that I know, that I can, I can make a request to him if I need something done. So a lot of times we want to have proximity to power. This is what we as human beings want. We're looking for a full belly. We want our needs met. We want to feel secure. And we come to Jesus because it seems like he's the guy who's going to give us what we need and want. And the prayers we pray tell us a lot about how we see Jesus and what we're looking for. There was a time after I got married, we got married, there was two of us, um, it, that's good, uh, I feel like I should say that, and I was at first very against having babies, and it quickly turned, and I was like, okay, I really want a baby now. Um, and so I started praying, and I didn't think... You know, in my family, my dad is the oldest of eight. My mom had four kids in five years. I was afraid of having kids too quickly, if you know what I mean. Um, and instead, it was this very long, protracted process. Uh, and I was praying these very physical prayers about my body and about my health and about this little baby, this real little person that I wanted to come into our family. And it seemed like my body wasn't working. And so I was praying these prayers, praying these desperate prayers. And eventually for the first kiddo, it took about a year. The second one took a little over two years. But God did answer those prayers. And it happened twice like that for me where I had to wait and pray into this motherhood process. And this was me looking for God to meet a physical need. And the prayers that I was praying all the time reflected the kind of God that I was looking for. 
but not every motherhood prayer I've prayed has been answered. So what are you looking for? When you look for God, what do you expect him to be for you? What do you want him to be right now for you? Our story continues the next morning when the people that Jesus fed find him on the other side of the lake. So they, they find him there and they're like, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're trying to act super chill, um, even though they definitely were there for like breakfast, right? They're like, hey, are we doing breakfast? We did lunch yesterday, we're doing breakfast. You do that, right? Is this like a, like a traveling restaurant? Um, and Jesus is on to them. He says, truly I tell you, it is not because you saw these signs that you're looking for me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Have you ever had God call you out? God's calling them out, isn't he? He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is right away taking their desire for something that's physical and engaging them in a conversation about what is spiritual, to look beyond just meeting the temporary physical needs. He's saying, don't just work for the food and the stuff that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Work for what will last. So they inquired, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Didn't he just perform a sign yesterday? He took five loaves and two fish and fed everyone. Didn't he just do this? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. So it's back to food. These people are all about food. They're like, hey, you have to be at least as good as Moses at providing us with lunch, right? They're referencing back to Moses. But notice that Jesus does not give in to their attempts to, to kind of like manipulate him into proving himself. He does not do miracles on command. He doesn't have anything to prove. He wants to show them who he really is. And so Jesus again draws them into the bigger story. He says, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread at all times because they still think it's about bread. Okay, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Starting to get confusing. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But as I stated, you've seen me and still you do not believe. He's saying you see me, but you don't hunger for me. You're not coming to me. You're not actually looking for me. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They're saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I came down from heaven? We know this guy. He used to play at the playground with our kids. We used to change his diaper. This guy came down from heaven, but Jesus doesn't back down. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this bread, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh, my body, my life. At this, the Jews began to argue among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, his body? How's he going to do that? And once again, Jesus doesn't push back. He goes all the way in. He says, Jesus, Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoa. Jesus has been building up to this, right? He's saying, I am the bread of life. He's using this metaphor And all of a sudden, it feels like it just turned physical. It just turned really graphic. What just happened? Jesus is referencing the meal that he fed them yesterday, where he broke and divided the bread, and he gave everyone enough to eat. But he's also referencing his death, how similarly his body would be broken. Through his death and resurrection, he would give life to the world. And in Luke 22, at the Last Supper, Jesus says something really similar. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Last Supper was Jesus bringing together this experience and the understanding of Jesus as the bread of life and what it would cost him to give us this, that it would require his body to be broken so that it could be provided as food, as life for all of us. But not everyone could understand because not everyone was looking for eternal life. Not everyone was looking for Jesus as he is. Many times we are looking for something simpler, something more comfortable, something more digestible. And so Jesus will eventually show up in our lives in a way that we no longer understand in a way that causes discomfort, in a way that disappoints us. And how we respond says a lot about us. On hearing his teaching, many of his disciples who were present said, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this teaching, Jesus asked them, does this offend you? The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. However, some of you do not believe. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But notice the contrast. Jesus asked the 12, his 12 disciples, he says, do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So what do we do when we turn to God and we don't get what we're looking for? How do we respond when Jesus isn't who we thought he was? Jesus' way is to meet us where we are, and many of us began our journey with Jesus around his making a change in our physical lives. Maybe it was just the feeling of being overwhelmed by guilt about something and eventually just coming to this place of like asking for forgiveness and having the visceral physical sense of being lifted out of that. Maybe it was 
provision. You were asking God to open up an opportunity for you. Or maybe you just needed money or food or something really basic. And you prayed a prayer and that prayer was answered. And just like Jesus on the, on the mountaintop, you met, you met Jesus in a really physical way, in a way where he was meeting an existential existential or physical need. And that's where he starts with most of us, but he doesn't want to leave us there, thinking that he's some sort of like guru or a genie, that he, he, you can just rub his belly and something good will come out, right? This isn't a vending machine. He's not doing his miracles on command. How many of us can relate to having a prayer that we prayed? And you know, you've been praying a prayer and you're starting to see God doing things and eventually you come up to a something in your life where it's not working. The God button isn't working. I prayed the prayer. I asked. I pushed the button. I read my Bible. I went to church. I did the stuff. Why isn't it working? Something's wrong with God. He's broken. The God button is broken. How many of us have gotten into that place? When our relationship with God is built around him, meeting our physical and existential desires, we often don't know what to do with this God that doesn't all of a sudden manifest what we're looking for. He starts with meeting our needs, but he doesn't leave us there because he knows that you're a soul in a body and he has to engage all the parts of you. He wants to engage the everlasting eternal part of you, your soul. And your soul has a hunger for something that your physical body, if he's just meeting all your physical needs, you're never gonna become aware of the part of you that will live forever. It's the, it's the moment where we are confronted with the thing that we can't make God do. That is the moment where we are confronted at the soul level with God. My soul, my spirit, his spirit. It's that moment where we're confronted with the real Jesus. The people that Jesus fed returned him because he fed them the first time. And they wanted a fresh meal and a new king. Jesus fed them once and pointed them to himself, and they walked away because they weren't looking for that. So in my story, God was gracious to us. We had two kids. It was amazing. It was a huge surprise every time. And I was extremely grateful but we expected that we would have more. I always thought this thought of how my family would go, what it would look like. And I remember when John was like four years old, James was just a baby, and John started praying for a sister. And he was praying for like a long time. And I thought, well, if you bring the kids in, then it works, <laughs> right? The God vending machine works if, you, if the child is praying. And I remember even sitting one day on the couch, me and little John, and we were both sitting there crying. I don't remember why, but we were just like, God, please do this. We, we wanted to have, you know, there was two boys. We wanted to have a little girl. John, for some reason, just really was invested in having this sister. I don't know why. Um, so we were praying. Our kids prayed. We had like clothes. We bought baby clothes because I thought if I buy baby clothes, 
that will demonstrate that I have faith. I don't know, just make stuff up, you know? A little superstitious. So I did all that. I did everything that I did before and more. And I just waited. And you know, sometimes when you wait on God, you kind of get resentful. You get grumpy. Sometimes it feels like, man, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. So there was these, these uh, you know, resentments and disappointments that were building up in me. And I am not a big fan of disappointment. I know most people aren't. But doesn't it feel like so vulnerable to put yourself out there and to ask for something and to like want something and then you can't make it happen? You can't do anything at all to make it happen? I don't like that. That's very uncomfortable for me. And I think it is for a lot of us. Some of you have like more faith and, and you're willing to, to take those risks. That became increasingly hard for me. And I just got really grumpy about it and really cynical. And eventually, I just kind of tried to tune God out around that issue. It wasn't that I walked away from my faith completely, but I really did just kind of separate myself. And so <clears throat> I realized that eventually I needed to, to wrestle with God around this issue. And so I just, I noticed that here am I and here is God and we're both still here, but I don't have this thing that I want and what do I do with that? We're both still here, I can tell. He's here. I'm here. We have each other. But this sucks. So when I chose to wrestle with God, when I chose to engage him finally, he showed me these things that spoke to me very deeply, and he reminded me how good he had been to me, despite how grumpy and resentful and cynical I had been. And he showed me that he wasn't, he wasn't doing miracles on demand. That he was good whether or not this thing that I wanted happened. That I, wasn't, I didn't get to hold the definition of God's goodness hostage to whether or not he did what I wanted. I had to decide that God was good and that I was going to follow him no matter what. Or not. If God isn't good, then what do we have? So I had to decide that God was good, even though I was disappointed. What do we do with that? In this case, Jesus, I had prayed this prayer. Here's a baby, finally. Pray another prayer over time. Here comes a baby. Pray a long time, long time, long time, long time. Nothing. Jesus is different now to me. Right In the way that Jesus came to the people on the mountain and he fed them bread and the next day they come back to him and they say, can you do that again? And he's different this time. He's like, okay, I know that I fed you the bread of your body, but here I'm the bread of life. I'm the, the bread of eternal life. What will you do with me now? What will you do with Jesus now when he shows up differently to you? In that moment, what kind of Jesus follower will you be? Will you choose to stay or will you walk away? 
In Matthew eleven six, Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. I thought this was really interesting. I didn't know this until I looked it up. I just had this feeling. I wanted to look up the word offended. So I looked it up. The Greek word is skandaliste, which means to be offended. But to be offended means to stumble or to fall away. Isn't that interesting? We often get offended at each other. We get offended at God. And you know what? We think it's a harmless emotion. But that offense actually causes us to to break away from those relationships, whether it's with God or with each other. Offense is an active emotion. And when we let that offense towards God and others fester, that's actually where we begin to lose relationship with him. That's why he's saying, blessed are those who are not offended. Not because you don't get disappointed, not because you don't get confused, not because you don't say, God, what the heck? What are you doing right now? Of course you're gonna think that. But blessed are you when you stay when it's hard. Blessed are you when you stay when it doesn't make sense. Blessed are you when you hang on. When you let Jesus be to you who he is and not who he has been. Because you might be like some of those disciples, like the many And you say, give us a sign. Give me a sign, Jesus. Do something. Work your magic. Fix me. Fix my relationship. Fix our health. Fix our finances. Fix this thing in my life. Do the thing you do. And if you don't, if you don't make sense, Jesus, I'm out. A lot of people say that. But... If we do that, if we walk away, we're missing out on Jesus himself. And that's the reward. Jesus is the reward. It's not just the answer to prayer in the moment. It's not just the thing being fixed in the moment. It's Jesus himself. What if we were the disciples, the followers of Jesus that wrestled with God, like the heritage that we have in scripture with Abraham, with Jacob, with Hannah, And so many others, will we say like Peter, Lord, where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. I don't know if you knew this, but Israel means one who wrestles with God. Jacob got the name Israel after a wrestling match with God. And to wrestle with God is our inheritance. This is what we're called into. There is a really big movement right now. You might have heard the term deconstruction. Has anyone heard that term? Deconstructing your faith, right? Taking it apart. People are realizing that a lot of Christianity doesn't make sense and that a lot of ways that Christians practice their faith doesn't really line up. And you might know somebody who's deconstructing their faith, who's taking it apart, who's making it three-dimensional, two-dimensional, who's looking at it from all these different angles. And you're like, it may be, maybe this is you right now. And you're like, I don't know if this thing's gonna get put back together. That's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It's okay to take the thing apart. Maybe the thing wasn't even real. 
But here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with God. Because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll read a book or we'll get on Twitter or we'll listen to some podcasts and we'll get inside of an echo chamber and we don't actually wrestle with God. When he doesn't make sense to us, we, don't, we stop talking to him. Have you ever had a friend who got mad at you and you didn't know about it? They just didn't tell you. And then they like kind of ghost you or they're like peace out. And you're like, I wish we could have talked about it, right? I wish you would have told me. I wish we could have had a conversation. Maybe we could have come to an agreement. Maybe we could have, at least if we don't see eye to eye, that we could still have a relationship. Where do you think that desire for reconciliation came from? That's from heaven itself. God is saying the same thing. Even if you're offended at me, even if you don't understand, even if you're disappointed, will you stay? Can we talk about this? Even if you remember in Isaiah, he says, come now, let us reason together. He wants to have a conversation. He wants us to be invited into this relationship that doesn't have to make sense. If you are married or you have children or you have a, a good friend, you know, you're, if, you're a par- if you have parents, I think we've covered everyone, okay? You know people don't make sense, right? Sometimes we get into a situation with someone where we're like, Ugh! we're at an impasse. That's a good thing. That means there's depth in your relationship. If you get to that point with God, if you get to that impasse with God where you're like, oh, I just don't know if I can get past this. When you get past this, that's where it gets good. In your marriage, in your friendship, in your work. When you push through that thing that's hard and it doesn't make sense and you stay, that is when it gets good. That's when you find out who you are and who the other person is, right? How many of us can, can experience that and validate that? So I want to leave us with this, that to wrestle with God is our inheritance. Don't walk away. Don't try to make sense of it all on your own. And, and the other option of just blindly taking everything, right? I think that we think I have to just ex, like accept the package as it was delivered to me or I have to walk away. The third way is to wrestle. The third way is to show up in your authenticity and say, God, this sucks. I don't like this. I don't like you. I don't like myself. I don't like that. I don't know. I don't like whatever. Be honest. That's the wrestling match, right? Do you think God doesn't know? You think you're going to surprise him? Are you going to keep a secret from God? Right? Like, oh, at least if I don't tell him, you won't know I'm mad. Engage with him. I want to encourage you to wrestle with him eye to eye that he's inviting us into the sacred wrestling match. And we can decide to stay. And I hope that as a community, that we decide to be those who wrestle with God, who stay. That we are that small group that says, Lord, where else can I go? You have the words of life. So this week, for our next steps, 
I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit where you've been disappointed or offended at God. Where has God showed up in your life and you were like, whoa, this is not what I thought you were. I thought you were gonna do something different. I thought you were gonna come through. I thought you were gonna answer that prayer very differently. And I don't know what to do with you right now. Maybe you know right away what that is. And maybe you need to sit with it because you buried it. And you just kind of like made it part of your worldview or the part of God that you just don't look at. God wants your whole heart. And he cares that you're disappointed. He cares that you're hurt. And he's wanting to draw you in. And so ask him what that is and, and choose to engage God. Choose to look him in the eye and, and tell him how you feel. It's raw. It's going to be a little ugly. It's going to be uncomfortable. But who Jesus is and who you are is worth it. You're worth that exchange, and so is he. So worship team, if you want to come on up, uh, we're going to pray together. Jesus, we know that you are good and we recognize that and we acknowledge it. And yet, Lord, there are areas of all of our lives in this room where we go, I don't know if God is good in that area. I don't know if he's for me. I don't know if God loves me because this exists in my life. I don't know how to make sense of who God is. Lord, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would give us grace to see you new, to give us fresh eyes, to see past offense. Lord, let us find that we are all looking for you as you are. That we're looking deeper, Lord. Let us, let us look at who you are, who you truly are, who you are inviting us to see that we would have the grace to see it. Lord, we bring even now the disappointment, the incongruity of our faith and what we thought and what is in the moment. We bring that to you right now, Jesus. We're just standing here with it. It doesn't make sense. And yet you are still here. You are with us. You are for us and you are good. Lord, we ask that you would help us to reach that conclusion. Call us, Lord. Call us to yourself. Let us reach past offense for the real Jesus. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. 
We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.